Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. And at our church, we talk a lot about wanting to be a part of restoring faith in Jesus and the church. So we want you to know, wherever you find yourself on your spiritual journey, whether you're deconstructing or reconstructing, whether you're disentangling, doubting, rebuilding, no matter where you are, we want you to know that you are not alone. And we want to be a support for you as you journey down this road of faith. So if you have questions or you need support, we would love to chat with you. You can reach out to us through our website at restoreaustin.org. And we hope you enjoy this week's message. Good morning. I am Jamie Tanner, and I am extremely honored to be here with you today. Um, Thank you so much, Pastor Zach. Um, He's been coaching me and mentoring me and encouraging me for several months. Um, So I want to just thank you personally for that as just a dear brother in Christ. Um, You might have recognized me from a few weeks ago. I brought a little lamb onto the stage, um, and then he promptly proceeded to poop over here on the gym floor. Um, I'm the founder and a volunteer CEO of Simple Sparrow Care Farm. And what my work entails is we get to teach people how to care for land, gardens, and animals. And we observe then that they are better able to care for themselves and others. So we serve all ages, backgrounds, and abilities. Basically, if someone enjoys gardening or working with animals or being okay with animals pooping all over the place. Um, Simple Sparrow Care Farm has been just a great ministry for those individuals. Um, I I have to give a shout out to my ladies and a dear brother in Christ. They traveled down here from the Round Rock, Georgetown area. So I get to, they're sitting right in front of me. Um, So I'm so encouraged. And then also my wonderful husband and kids um, are also here. So it really is just such a treat to be up here with y'all this this Sunday. Um, So a little bit about Simple Spare Care Farm. We have really a lot of animals. Um, I don't want to, you know, stress my husband out too much when I tell you we probably have over 100 chickens. Um, He's not an animal lover. The farm is uh, for my therapy first. It's where I felt God ministering to me uh, through my trauma and some of the things I have gone through. A few months ago now, uh, we were in the process of breeding our dairy goats. So we have a small Nubian dairy goat herd, and we anticipate baby kids at the farm in the spring. And I don't keep a buck at the farm year-round. They're really stinky guys. And because so many therapists come to the farm and they meet clients at the farm, having a smelly goat isn't really very therapeutic. So he's there just for a short season. And this year, the buck that I selected, his name is El Guapo. And he is, he is just handsome. Uh, There might be a picture, yeah, there's El Guapo, big handsome black guy with the blue collar. And these, this is a photo of my third-born child snuggling with the goats. These are the ladies. These are the does. Now, there's a big difference between the dairy girls and this little rascal over here, El Guapo. The ladies are very docile. They're very personable. They stand still on the milk stand so I can milk them, and we have a relationship. El Guapo, since he came just for this window of breeding, and he lives out at pasture the rest of the year. He and I don't really have a relationship developed. 
But I decided I knew better and I could handle El Guapo like the ladies. And he needed to get loaded to go to the pasture because the breeding season was over. Well, he's probably about 150 pounds and I could take him. But he was pretty determined not to go. So he was running around the pen and I summoned my oldest son, Jude, who is a lineman, offensive lineman. So he's sturdy, well-built. And I said, hey, come on, help me get El Guapo loaded so we can take him up to the pasture. Well, after you know, chasing him around and muscling him still, this, this goat was just wild and not interested in being handled at all, let alone being loaded to go out to pasture. And the chaos of the pen at the moment was very much real. And Jude, he held on to El Guapo and I grabbed his back legs and we finally got this goat settled down. And so I gave Jude the order. I said, okay, go open the gate and we're gonna get him loaded. So go do that. Well, in all the commotion of the pen, our Pyrenees, who is about a 120 pound dog, he ran in, startled El Guapo. I was holding El Guapo by the collar. And this goat jumped and smashed his face into the sharp corrugated metal roofing on his shelter. And a huge deep gash appeared on his nose. And blood <laughs> just started coming out. And it was just chaos. And I did what any good parent would do. I blamed my son. <laughs> Jude! You shouldn't have let the dog in. Jude, why didn't you hold? Jude, this, that, this, this is your fault. Blah, blah, blah. My husband heard the commotion, he heard me yelling, and ran and got some rags, and all three of us had to pin this poor animal down and mop up the blood on his face, stop the bleeding. Now, when an animal has an injury like that, they can't go out to pasture. We had to keep him in the pen and monitor him for infection. Well... Jude, he went to his room, closed the door, and I went in the house and started washing the blood off. And just thinking through what went wrong, reevaluating my life choices, what have you. And it just hit me this guilt. Oh, crud. <laughs> I realized that poor goat wasn't the only thing that got wounded out in the pen. I hurt my son. I blamed him for what went wrong, and I shamed him. And now we had a damaged relationship because of my actions and my choices to blame him and shame him. And while he was up in his room, and I was just thinking through the consequences of my choices, I thought, oh, good grief, here we are again, Jamie. <laughs> when are you going to learn? Have you ever damaged someone because of your choices like me? Yes, thank you. <laughs> over and over, I mean, you'd think by now I'd get it right, right? But no, we just, we can damage other people with our choices. Or we get damaged by other people's choices, by how they treat us. We can sin against someone, people sin against us, and it damages relationships. If y'all weren't here last week, uh, Zach started a sermon series called Fractured 
on the sin. And, and we're examining what is sin? What is the result of sin? What do we do about it? How do we find restoration? How do we carry on? We're, uh, both with personal sin and also systemic sin. It's, it's a serious business. And it just, it just keeps happening sometimes, doesn't it? Well, today we're gonna look at scripture and we're gonna see a time before sin in human relationships, before sin in relationship with humans and creation. And we're gonna see how humans have reacted. We won't go through every passage in the Bible, that would take us years and years. But we're gonna look at Genesis 1, 26 through 31, just to first kind of get an idea of, of what life was like for humans before sin entered relationship. Now, my lovely Bible study people, they know that I'm a Bible teacher and I love teaching scripture. And it's very important that we understand the context of what we're looking at when we go into scripture. And this passage in Genesis was written by Moses. This is traditionally who we credit with writing the first five books of the Bible. And his purpose of writing was to instruct the Israelites on what their identity was and what is their purpose. And ultimately, who is Yahweh? Who is God? And if you are familiar with the Exodus story, this was a time that the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. And God called Moses to go and speak and tell Pharaoh to free these people out of slavery. Now these people had been enslaved for hundreds of years. And the culture of Egypt is not God's culture. They were a part of a polytheistic society, and that means that there were multiple gods. And the identity of these gods, of any polytheistic culture, is that these gods made you to serve them. There is no intimate loving relationship. There is no shalom flourishing, which Zach talked about last week, a peace and prosperity for all of creation. A polytheistic mindset is that there's only flourishing for the gods, for the top dogs up here. And so if any humans had any luck of flourishing, of thriving, they had to make sacrifices, they had to appease the gods, and really what that is is this, it's a manipulation, it's a self-preservation, and it's constantly living in the fear of are we doing enough, and how can we get X, Y, Z. What can we do to trick this God, to fool this kid, to get this? So when God called Moses into Egypt, God was confronting every false God of that culture and showing his presence, showing his identity. He calls himself the I am, Yahweh. Moses calls him Elohim in the book of Genesis, in this, these chapters we're looking at. So Moses had just explained who God is. What did God do? He is the creator God. And he had just made the heavens and the earth, and he made all the living things in it. And we get down to Genesis 1.26. Then God said, oh, and I'm reading the Amplified Translation. I like how it kind of unpacks 
some of these phrases. So this is the Amplified Translation. Then God said, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man in our image according to our likeness, not physical, but a spiritual personality and moral likeness, and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and over the entire earth, and over everything that creeps and crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, granting them certain authority. And he said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subjugate it, putting it under your power. And rule over, dominate the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves upon the earth. So God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the entire earth. And every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you and to all the animals on the earth to every bird of the air, and to everything that moves on the ground, to everything in which there is the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, because he commanded it. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And he validated it completely. And there was evening and there was morning, a sixth day. Thanks for sticking with me. That was several verses to go through. But what we see in this passage is our identity as humans and our purpose. Another thing we see is blessing and God's provision. Our identity as humans is image bearers, made in the image of God. Imago Dei, if you've heard that phrase, that's what that means. We're not merely just people that have no purpose, that have no identity. We are made to be a part of relationship, of a loving relationship. I like the amplified version because it clarifies God, and it is used in the plural form, Elohim, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's a loving community. And they created people to to share in that love, and it's for a purpose. When we look at that verse uh, 28, there's that blessing. And then he says to rule over all of creation. That term in Hebrew, that rule over, isn't a command to exploit and rule over negatively and dominate, as in just take what you want. What that command actually means and what this phrase is about ruling over and subjugating, it's shalom flourishing. Our job as people is to steward God's creation. It is to give back to God everything he has given us. To help every living thing live up to its fullest potential. That includes people. That includes animals. That includes the ground. That includes the soil. That is our purpose as people. And God blessed this. And the other thing that you notice in this is even God's provision of food. Green plants. I'm not going to get off on some dietary thing and argue for veganism here. But notice that there was no separation. There wasn't death. At this point, not even animals had to die to sustain life. As we read on, we're going to skip ahead to Genesis 2, 21 through 25. A great way to think about these chapters, um, and I encourage you to go home and read these on your own, is 
the, so Moses kind of gave chapter one, and there were no chapter divisions in the original uh, manuscripts, scrolls. Think of chapter one as kind of an overview, summary. And then chapter two, we're kind of zeroing in, and we're getting a little bit more detail, okay? So in chapter two, 21 through 25, Moses is talking now about this relationship between human and human, and also human and God. So listen to what it says. 221, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made, fashioned and formed into a woman. And he brought her and presented her to the man. Notice that woman and man's first relationship wasn't with each other, it was with God. I think that's profound. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Listen to this intimacy, this oneness. For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And this is the coolest part in verse 25. This intimacy, the shalom flourishing, the vulnerability that we see. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed or embarrassed. No shame. Complete vulnerability. Shalom flourishing. There was no fear. There was no panic. There was just rest. There was peace. There was bond, connection, relationship. We keep reading. Now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled in deceit, than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent, also known as Satan, said to the woman, can it really be that God has said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees of the garden, except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. For God said, you shall not eat from it nor touch it, otherwise you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die, for God knows that on that day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and that is you will have greater awareness and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. Now notice in this passage, the temptation was pushing back on the boundaries that God had set for relationship between God and humans. God had already established a community of shalom flourishing, of vulnerability, of relational connection. And then the serpent pushes more and he says, you will be like God. But Moses just told us in 1, 26 through 31, that humans were already made in the image of God. They already were made and like God. So how much more could they possibly be? We don't want to read into the text too much, and I have some theories I think that this came from a place of fear 
that what God had provided, what God had said, either wasn't enough or not true. And then I think maybe there was a level of panic that could set in. I think we all know what that feels like. And in the moments of panic, we really aren't in our higher brain functioning regions where we can make best decisions. And I think between the fear and then also the temptation and maybe even pride that humans could attain on their own what they needed without God. Whether it was a conscious choice or not, they considered it. They looked at the tree, six, and, uh, six through 10 is the passage where it talks about women saw that the tree uh, was good for food and it was delightful to look at. And a tree to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful. She took some and ate of its fruit. And she also gave some to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of the two of them were opened, that is their awareness increased. And they knew that they were naked. And they fastened fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So now instantly, Moses is showing us, here's this stark contrast, right? In 2.25, we see that they're naked and unashamed. Now all of a sudden, they're aware of their nakedness. They're aware of their vulnerability. And now they need to hide it and cover it up. They're guilty of sin. And then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the afternoon breeze of the day. So the man and his wife hid. And they kept themselves hidden from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And Adam replied, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. So now we have guilt from sin. Now we have the shame coming in, covering it up. And instantly, now there is a separation and there is damage to the relationship. Not but just between male and female, humans, damage, they're hiding now, they're separating themselves from one another. There's no longer a felt vulnerability, there's no longer a felt safety, but now the relationship between them and God is damaged. Now we can't hide from God. And God continued to pursue relationship. And he says, who told you you were naked? Verse 11, have you eaten the fruit from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? This is where the blaming comes in. I'm really good at this. And the man said, well, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate it. So this blaming, he doesn't deny that he did wrong. He's saying, well, yes, I did it, but I only reacted because dot, dot, dot. It was somebody else's fault. For me, well, I only yelled at Jude because he did open the gate and he let the dog in. Really, so it's his fault. Ouch. <laughs> so, then the God, so then God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled and deceived me and I ate. So woman, when, with her response, She's taking on the shame. Again, we don't want to read too much tone into text of scripture, but what I see in this text is her awareness 
that she made a mistake and then instant shame. Like, oh, dang it. I should have known. I shouldn't have been deceived. I should have known better. I had a wonderful therapist one time tell me, don't should yourself. Love that. She knew she was deceived. We cannot hide from God. We cannot hide our guilt. We cannot hide our shame. And we cannot hide the blame. There are consequences for sin. And again, the humans may not have explicitly decided not relationship with God, but there are consequences for our decisions. There is even a consequence between creation. Then the Lord God says to the serpent, to the adversary, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat. And I will put enmity all the days of your life. Verse 15. And I will put enmity, open hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall fatally bruise your head and you shall only bruise his heel. And here's consequences for a woman. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will give birth to children, yet your desire and longing will be for your husband, and he will rule with authority over you and be responsible for you. More consequences for humans. In verse 17, Then to Adam the Lord God said, Because you have listened attentively to the voice of your wife and have eaten the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. The ground is now under a curse because of you. In sorrow and toil you shall eat the fruit of it all the days of your life. Notice God does not curse humans. He's cursing the creation as a result of that broken relationship. God continues and he says, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the ground. For from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So now death. Here's the consequence of it. God summing it up, he says, because you've done this, because you violated the boundaries that I put into place, because you chose not to trust me, here's the consequences, because I gave you authority over creation. So that which what your authority over now that's, that's going to be damaged. That's going to change now. The man named his wife Eve, which means life spring or life giver, because she was the mother of all the living. And listen to what God does. Because God knew that humans were not sufficient or able to care for themselves without God. And what a good, loving father God is. God made tunics of animal skins for Adam and his wife and clothed them. I think that is so monumentous for us to understand. Because even in the consequences, even though sin had devastated relationship, had traumatized relationship between human and human, human and God, human and creation, God continued to protect and cover and provide for our needs. And God goes even a step further. 
because God is a relational God. He's not like the polytheistic gods. Moses is saying, listen, this is not the story that you heard all your life growing up in Egypt where you don't matter, where you should have just been smited and brought down. No, that's, this is not the identity of God, of the I am, of Yahweh. God continues to pursue with chesed, loyal love. That's what chesed means. And this sums it up in verse 22. God says, behold, the man has become like one of us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, knowing how to distinguish between good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take from the tree of life as well and eat its fruit and live in this fallen, sinful condition forever. Therefore, the Lord God said, sent Adam away from the garden of Eden to till and cultivate the ground from which he was taken. Did you catch that? So the gospel message that we've been taught, that you've heard, if you've ever heard it, it's not just eternal life. That's not the point. The point is relationship with God. The point is relationship with one another. And not a damaging, harmful relationship. It's shalom, flourishing relationship. God is love. That is the point of the gospel message. God could have let us live forever and then be eternally separated from God. But no, because of Christ, because of the work of God throughout time, continuing to pursue us for relational connection with said with loyal love, we have restored relationship with God. Over and over, God does this. From Genesis 3 till Revelation, every story you read, Old Testament, New Testament, God is never changing. The story is the same. He continues to pursue a loving relationship with humans who traumatize relationship because of sin, who willfully do that, who willfully choose our way and not God's way. Sin damages relationships, and Christ came to restore. We're going to look back on verse 15. This was actually considered a prophecy. In verse 15 of uh, three, chapter 3, And God said, I will put enmity, open hostility, between you and the woman and between your seed, offspring, and her seed. He shall fatally bruise your head, and you shall only bruise his heel. This is a foreshadowing of Christ prevailing over sin and the adversary of God. This is a promise that relational damage will one day come to an end. Now the first step for this relationship, we have to recognize our sin. We have to recognize that this is damaging. Sin damages relationships. It separates us from God. But God is a relational God. My sin damaged Jude. (laughs) I needed to recognize my guilt and confess my sin to Jude and admit to him, Jude, I'm not a perfect parent. Jude, of course, was very surprised. (laughs) But God is the perfect parent. And when you believe that what Jesus said about himself is true, you receive a restored relationship with God for eternity. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, 
Come to enlighten the eyes of your hearts that you may grow in spiritual knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And this means that now we have a helper that can put the right thoughts in our heads. And I don't know about all y'all, but I need the right thoughts in my head, right? Amen? (laughs) We need help. And I encourage you to seek the Holy Spirit's counsel. We have a power because of the work of Christ, because of the Holy Spirit indwelling in us today to take every thought captive and make it obey Christ, especially in the midst of fear and panic, whatever our El Guapo pen moment might be. And friends, if our thoughts are of God, our actions will follow. And when there is temptation, we have a choice to promote shalom shalom flourishing and strengthen relationships through our actions and our choices or do something else. We have the power to weigh and think clearly to choose shalom flourishing. Now my actions in El Guapo's pen and how I treated Jude, shaming and blaming him, were not obedient to Christ. Just like the humans eating the forbidden fruit, it's not obedient to God. But rather than admit my fault and oversight in that moment with Jude, I went right to the psychology of blaming and shaming my son. And my pride of loading the goats, wounded relationship, and El Guapo's face. I blame and shame. Man and woman in the Garden of Eden blamed and shamed. And relationships are damaged because of sin. But what if instead of blaming and shaming after sinning, because we know we're going to make mistakes again, we halt shame and blame in its tracks, and instead we confess our sin? If we sin against someone, let's admit our mistake and seek forgiveness. And if that person isn't ready to forgive, and maybe they shouldn't trust us again, we need to respect their boundaries. And we need to still be consistent and want their shalom flourishing. We want to help them live up to their fullest potential, even if that means we shouldn't be a part of their life right now. And if you're in that situation, I want to encourage you to keep trusting God. And remember that God is a loving, forgiving Father, and He forgives us. And that you can ask the Holy Spirit to guard your heart and mind, and you can pray for that person to guard their heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And wait. That's another wonderful power of the Holy Spirit, is patience. And if someone has sinned against you, Can we forgive before they even ask for forgiveness? And I want to remind us that forgiveness is not forgetfulness. Forgiveness is not taking away boundaries, because God had boundaries. Forgiveness is saying, okay, God, I trust you to deal with this person. And boundaries are healthy. And you, again, we can go to the Holy Spirit and have wisdom and knowledge to know when can we 
trust this person again? Do I need to open up my boundaries a little bit or do I need to still kind of hang aside because that person still hasn't shown that they're repentant or that they're still not interested in your shalom flourishing? Watch for that. Be close to people who are your safe people. Be close to people who are after your shalom flourishing and be after that for others because sin damages relationship. But Christ came to restore for eternity. So we can keep admitting our faults. We can keep practicing forgiveness. And we can keep trusting in Jesus to restore. Let's go ahead and pray. Oh, holy God. Yahweh, Elohim, I am. God, you are the same yesterday, today, and for always. God, we thank you that you go ahead of us, that you've come behind, God, that you've provided a way throughout the entire human history to restore relationship with people. Lord, forgive us when we have devastated relationship, God. Help us to promote shalom flourishing. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for your church. In Jesus' name, amen.